1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, Crosswalk with Gino Dracy. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And um, someone had called in and asked um, a question about a passage of scripture in um, Jim, it was in Matthew chapter twenty-one. Oh, excuse me, twenty-two fourteen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. So happy, happy to uh, to answer that question. If you're asking, you know, um, I, I, if memory serves me correctly, producer Jim said that you wanted to know who are the chosen because. It, it, Again, in in that um, passage of, of scripture, it is um, the text. Many are called, but but few are are cho- are, are chosen. So, yeah, happy to, to answer that. It's Matthew chapter twenty two verse. Oh, you're you're back. Matthew twenty two. You got You got it. You got it. Okay, Matthew twenty two fourteen. you wanted to know uh, about that passage of Scripture and what it might mean and who are the chosen. Right, right. And uh, obviously the statement comes at the end of the parable of the wedding feast. Remember, Jesus is giving this parable. And wait, wait,
2: wait. We're on the air now?
1: Yeah, we are. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, that was quick, huh? Yeah, because I, uh, I I got your note and um, and I was thinking about even if you didn't call back, I wanted to answer this question. <laughs> but you, you're asking about twenty two fourteen, and again in the parable, the king sends his servants out to gather the wedding guests to the wedding feast, but those. Invited refused to come, and some because they were too busy with worldly pursuits, some because they were hostile towards the king. So the king commands his servants to go out and invite anyone they find. And many come. Yeah. Invite anyone they find, and many come and fill the wedding hall. But the king sees one man without wedding garments, and he sends him away. And so Jesus concludes that by saying, many are called, that is, invited into the kingdom, but only those who have been chosen and have received Christ will come. So there are those who think, okay, remember the gospel. The gospel is where Jesus says, come to me, believe in me. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here is the gospel. The gospel message goes out. And the gospel message says, if you will turn from your sin and receive Christ as your Savior. So in that particular instance, the ones who are chosen are the ones who have received Christ. So, so imagine there's two great big groups of people who largely uh, divide over this word chosen. So part of the other word that people use is election. You know, okay. Um, I, I don't mean to interrupt. Okay, okay. <clears throat> but, but, to me, it seems like what is this—a license to sin? Why would it be a license to sin? Like, well, I'm chosen. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm in. No, that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage: you're, you're elect according to faith in Christ. And Paul addresses that issue of does be, because I am saved by grace through faith, does that give me a license to sin? And Paul says, heaven forbid, that exactly the opposite should take place. It's because you are saved, now you have actually a license to submit and obey and enjoy your new relationship with God in Christ. Okay. What I call in, I'm just trying to hear what you think, because I know you think about all these things day and night. I think about I it day do. and night, yeah. And so many people hear the call of God. So, so let me, I was just teaching about this on Sunday in, in Romans chapter 1. They have the creation. You look out into this great big world and you see a creation. They have their conscience. They know that that there's such a thing as right and wrong. And then they have the preaching of the word where people like me come on and say, hey, you know what? There's forgiveness for sinners in Christ. And Jesus' repeated words, he who has ears to hear, Let him hear. The point is that everyone who has the ability to listen, but few people are listening. Few people are listening and responding. So we're back to your original question. What does it mean that many are called, but few are chosen? Jesus is calling. The gospel is going out. There's repeated, there's a repetition. Turn from your sin turn from your sin receive Christ as your savior and that but there's a there's a growing group of people who say no 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 that's not for me and so now we've got the other passages in the scripture that talk about broad is the way that leads to dis- destruction and many are on that path narrow is the gate that leads to life and few find it and so To your question, well, what would prevent anyone from just saying, I'm in? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That word creation, by the way, is a word that, that biologists use to describe a new species. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You become something other than what you were. Now, that doesn't mean literally, that everything that you are completely disappears. But what it does mean is that you are literally given an opportunity to have a changed heart and a changed soul and a changed life because God creates life, grants repentance, and gives faith. So here's the big question. Here's the question that I hope you ask me. How is it possible, how is it possible that a human being can change? And the answer is, he can't. It's God who has to give him life. It's God who has to give him repentance. And it's God who has to give him faith. So imagine a person says, I can't be a Christian because I can't change into the person that God wants me to be. Well, guess what? You're absolutely right. You can't change into the person that God wants you to be. In order for you to change into the person that God wants you to be, you have to literally be changed by God. And that's okay.
2: That's the, exactly my point, right that's there.
1: The point of the pa- and that's the point of the passage. So, and, and in that point. Paul, again, expands on that point in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, where he says, for he chose us in him him before the creation of the world. In other words, he chose us in him. He didn't choose us apart from Christ. He chose us in him, speaking of Jesus, before the creation of the world, exactly the opposite of what you just said, to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. But I'm not holy and blameless. I'm a, you know, horrible human being. All the more reason to reach. Maybe I'm not doing anything wrong exactly inside of the people. Yeah. All the more reason to be great myself. Yeah. All the more reason to go, God. If I'm going to be a different person, you're going to have to make me different. God will accept that challenge. Hey by the way thanks for calling. I got to go. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. Happy to take your call 303-873-1935. You know, Matthew's question earlier about Matthew 22:14. Many are called, but few are chosen. And again, the way that I would think about that is in Ephesians 1, 4, it says, for he chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, not apart from Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves in that single passage in verse, in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 it says for he Jesus chose us in him Jesus to be predestined in Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves that's Jesus so there's there isn't there, There isn't election and predestination apart from Christ. Apparently we're chosen in Christ. So the big question becomes, is Christ thrust upon a person? Is a person saved apart from Christ? And I think that the right answer is that's not possible. It's not possible to be saved apart from Christ. And can you be saved, but have no desire whatsoever to repent of your sin and believe and embrace Jesus. So we have John chapter six, verse 37, which says salvation is by God's will and God's pleasure. According to God's glory, In John six, Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. This is Jesus saying, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Apparently there's some kind of supernatural drawing that the father imparts so that a person will, hear the gospel, believe the gospel, receive the gospel. And then Jesus says, I'll raise him up on the last day. That's that promise of a resurrection where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life elsewhere. in John 11, he says, whoever believes in me, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, even if he were dead, Yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Three zero three eight seven three 1935. So all of God's chosen will be saved. They will hear, they will respond because they have spiritual ears to hear the truth. And God's power makes that certain. In Romans eight twenty eight it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, proridzo, he knew in advance. For those God foreknew, that is, he loved, he also predestined proridzo. To be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's going to bring him back to life. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorifies. 3038731935, that's the number if you want to join me. On the program, so the big, the million dollar question becomes, how do you know if you are one of those who has ears to hear? I'm going to suggest to you that the way that you know (laughs) is that you respond to the call when you hear Jesus calling And what does that call entail? It's actually, in part, what was said by the caller earlier. I'm a sinner. Well, would you like to receive forgiveness? You see, if you can answer yes to the question, are you a sinner? And you answer yes to the question, do you want forgiveness of your sin? And if you answer yes to the question, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again. Then the next big question becomes, are you willing to surrender your life to Christ? Are you willing to invite Jesus into your life, into your heart, into your life? And so you respond to the call. Assurance of that certain call is the chosen call. And that assurance comes from the Holy Spirit. Consider Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good purpose. So if we listen with our spiritual ears and respond to the invitation, well, we don't have fear and trembling. Let's see if... Brian, welcome to the program. We've only got a few seconds here.
2: Welcome. Well, Gino, I just wanted to give uh, a praise report to God, and thank you for preaching the Word faithfully. All your verses really are so near and dear to me, but the one you quoted out of, I think it was John 11, right? um, and I was reciting that to my sweetheart, because right now it means more to me than ever before, if if one should die, if they believe in me and one should die, they shall live again. And if one lives and believes in me, though they shall never die. Right. Do you believe this? Right. He said, so Martha, I believe. Well, Gino, you know, that's the very thing I've been reciting and sharing with my sweetheart. And to me, it just has special significance. And thank you. For preaching the word faithfully. You
1: are welcome. And it was to, to Martha, and it's of course John chapter eleven, verse twenty-four and twenty-five and twenty-six. And yeah. so when when Martha says, I know that he will rise again, the context is of course our friend Lazarus. He's going to arise on the resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever yeah. believes in me will live even though he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. How is that? He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about the reality that salvation establishes, quote, relationship and friendship that never goes away. Oh, man.
2: You know, thank you.
1: (laughs) You are welcome.
2: because, Because i tell you, Gino, right now... That is so significant, and i I got to know that if it means a lot to me, you and I, then I'm sure the people that are listening, it means a lot to them, too. Yeah,
1: what could be more important? What could be more important that, in spite of all of the challenges that we face, a real Jesus is going to bring us back to life? i got to go. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. and you know, again, when we when we think about uh, headlines and we think about what's being reported and we think about what's important, you'll typically begin to ask and answer. It just depends on what you value. And um, there was a ten-year-old girl living in a schoolhouse in Ukraine that had been converted into a field hospital that was operated by Israeli medical workers. And um, this girl was, was on camera and um, she was basically said, I want peace for all Ukraine. Now, again, this 10 year old is a part of a growing group of people who have been displaced by the war, um, several different news outlets, including the United nations uh, have are now reporting that russia 's invasion has displaced some are saying nearly half some are saying more than half of ukraine 's children now imagine that that more than half of the children in a country the size of Texas, has has been displaced. And again, the United States Department of State released a, a statement last week describing war crimes by Russian forces in the Ukraine. the The Biden administ- administration announced yesterday that the that the United States will except, uh, well, not yesterday, it was last week, over 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. And NATO allies agreed to provide Ukraine with equipment and training and respond to a possible Russian attack using chemical, biological, even nuclear weapons. And my friend Joel Rosenberg at um, All Israel News, dot com has basically made the statement that that Russia's losing this war. Now, again, what he means by that is that that it isn't going the way that, um, he intended. And, um, that that means that he's going to escalate and today he had a um an an article posted about the blunder that happened over the weekend where um where Biden basically said that there needs to be that he needs that Putin needs to be removed from power. So he called for the remo- removal but but again then Washington back r- sort of walks it back. And so Joel Rosenberg at allisrael.com he writes he writes this this is dateline Jerusalem. He says and I'm quoting Joel Rosenberg, you can't make this stuff up. And then he says, "Okay, you can." He said, I do every time I write a political thriller. Now, I've had him on several times over the years talking about those political thrillers. He says, but when it happens in real life, it's ugly. Joel Rosenberg writes at allisrael.com, as the Bible tells us, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then he talks about, again, this gaffe of of um, of saying, you know what, Um, Putin needs to be removed. And then he says, well, you know, he was speaking not metaphorically, he was speaking morally, um, but that, you know, that they're not calling for, quote unquote, regime change. Um, So Biden called Putin a butcher And then he said, quote, quoting quoting Biden, word for word, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, unquote. Joel Rosenberg said, amen. Biden was right. He said, Joel Rosenberg's writing, and he says, Putin is a wicked, evil, destructive man. He purposefully invades innocent, peaceful countries to devour them. He purposely targets innocent, peaceful civilians to murder them. He must not remain in power. Some way, somehow, he and those officials and advisors who think like he does must be removed from power in Russia for the world to be safer. But, uh, Joel Rosenberg says, and I'm quoting his his. Peace from AllIsrael.com. Overall, therefore, Biden's speech was pretty good. It got glowing reviews throughout Europe, even among many in Washington. And then Joel says, if I hadn't been sick in bed with a fever all weekend, I, I would have written a positive article about it myself. But in less than 24 hours, Biden botched it. He said, Coming out of church on Sunday evening, Biden was asked by reporters if he was really calling for Vladimir Putin to be removed from power. No, Biden told them. What? How could Biden's remarks on Saturday be interpreted any other way? His advisors moved quickly to walk back Biden's regime change language. Walk back. That's Washington talk for aides who tell you that their bosses didn't really mean what everyone heard him say. Secretary of State Tony Blinken told reporters in Jerusalem yesterday that Biden wasn't calling for the removal of Putin. He said, quote, this is Anthony Blinken. I think the president, the White House made the point last night. That, quite simply, President Putin cannot be empowered to wage war or engage in aggression against Ukraine or anyone else, Blinken said. As you know, and as you've heard us say repeatedly, we do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia or anywhere else for that matter. Unquote. Yet, rather than calling Biden out for flip flopping, at least two Republicans criticized Biden for calling for Putin to be removed in the first place. Now again, what Joel is pointing out and what a lot of people are pointing out is again this tension that is taking place as people are trying to walk a very fine line. It actually goes to the heart of what um I'm thinking about Andrea said about Will Smith and and um in this sense what do you do? What do you do when people do things and say things? And the consequences are catastrophic. Is it possible? Is it possible that nations without your permission, without your permission, can start World War Three? Is anyone who's listening to my voice in charge of pushing a nuclear button? Now, there might be some friends on KGFT radio to to our south who are listening from the Cheyenne bunker to this radio program, and they might be one of a handful of group of people who get nuclear codes from uh, higher ups, and they have... They are a part of a protocol that could initiate or respond to global thermonuclear war. But what do you do? What do you do when you say, you know what? I don't want a nuclear war. I don't want the president. I don't want the Congress. I don't want our government initiating a nuclear war. But what do you do if somebody else initiates it? What do you do? What do you do if you just simply become a victim, like in Ukraine, of other people's madness? Hey, if ever there was a time to have a right relationship with God, um, I'm going to suggest to you that it's right now. Now three zero three eight seven three 1935 i'll be back hey welcome back ladies and gentlemen this is gino jury so glad you could join me Three zero three 1935 let's see who's up tom welcome to the program
2: uh, good talking with you gino um I wanted to address the statement you made a little bit earlier on uh, regarding repentance. You said that it was God-given. However, I, I, I feel the need to challenge that.
1: because well, it's His kindness yep. that leads us to repentance. I'm not suggesting that we play no role. Right. It's His it's kindness that leads us to repentance. Yeah, I'm not s- suggesting that that human beings do not have uh, uh, responsibility, because the very first word out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 4, 17, is repent. Right. So, he calls sinners to repentance in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. So
2: Okay, it, I just wanted to be clear on that, because yeah, yeah, I I, it sounded like you said that God grants repentance, and it's like, well, if that were the case, then he owes Adam and Eve an even apology, because he failed to grant them repentance.
1: <laughs> what I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is that the, the scripture is correct when it says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And even the Greek word itself, metanoia, that's used for repentance, it means to change one's life as a result of a change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So... Uh, it, it isn't God changing your mind. It's you changing your mind and saying, I now believe what God has said about this subject.
2: All right. He's wanting to get that uh, cleared up.
1: <laughs> no, no. Ha- happy to clear it up. And um, one of the most gifted preachers of the 17th century, he was a Puritan, Thomas Watson. He defined repentance as, quote, grace of God's spirit which enables a sinner to be inwardly humbled and visibly reformed that's old puritan talk for god is playing a role in our ability to repent and we're playing a role in our in our ability and in, in, in our What's the word I'm looking at? I'm going to use the term necessity, okay? In the necessity for human beings to repent, because human beings must repent. Paul said to the Thessalonians, You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. You turned from idols. Not just simply God caused you to turn, but you turned. I'm going to suggest to you it is impossible to turn to god without turning away from sin it's impossible
2: right because the scripture says that uh well actually i believe it was uh paul wrote that if if no it was um well, i guess it was paul it was uh he says if if you are if you're an enemy of god if you're a friend of the world
1: right Right. Friendship with the world. Well, John the Apostle said, John says friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And so, again, but to your point, to your point, does God play a role? The answer is yes. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Do human beings play a role? Yes, according to the scripture, convicted by the Holy Spirit, the sinner acknowledges sin, confesses sin, and then asks God for forgiveness. That's the relationship one to the other. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. I, I am glad you called because guess what? Yeah, I have to speak in such a way not just to be understood but to be so that I'm not misunderstood (laughs) no thank you thank you thank you (laughs) all right
0: I gotta get to work
1: (laughs) me too me too I gotta get to work 303-873-1935 that's the number if you want to join me on the program and by the way Repentance produces not only a change in mind, but a change of heart, which leads to a change of life. And so there's an intellectual component in your mind. The sinner understands uh, that sin has separated us from God and caused enmity with God. And then emotionally, repentance... Should be accompanied by sorrow because sin offends our loving and gracious God. And that sorrow, in and of itself, isn't repentance. In other words, the feeling of guilt or the feeling of sorrow isn't repentance. You can experience regret or remorse, but not repentance. And so, according to the scripture, when repentance is produced from godly sorrow, according to the will of God, it leads to salvation. And God's kindness, God's kindness is meant to uh, bring us to repentance. 303-873-1935. That's the number. You know, I was talking about Joel Rosenberg earlier and about, again, this whole issue of nuclear war. And weapons of mass destruction. Today's weapons of mass destruction are capable of inflicting millions of deaths in a matter of seconds. In other words, there is, we are living in a world where a group of people could make decisions and quite literally your life is changed forever. And all of this could happen in just the four minutes that we have left on this program. Now, does the Bible actually say anything about this? Well, the technology is new. Um, In in biblical times, they had weapons, but they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. Um, At the height of the Babylonian Empire or the Persian Empire or even... Um, the Greek and the Roman Empire, they could inflict a lot of damage, but it's only been within a decade of my lifetime that we've been able to quite literally, even in 1945, there wasn't enough of a of a nuclear stockpile at that point to have global destruction. But fast forward 10 years into 1956, 57, 58, and then the arms race in 1960 and 61 and 62. Now there was sufficient nuclear weapons to kill every man, woman, and child on the planet earth. So the purpose of these weapons is to bring about, death on a scale that's sometimes mentioned in the scripture. The Bible talks about death in the context of war. The Bible also talks about peace as desirable. And the Bible also talks about death in war as an unfortunate reality for many people in biblical history and of course throughout the bible you have vivid pictures of war and even genocide in Joshua chapter 6 and Samuel for Samuel chapter 15 and in the tribulation period the, in the book of revelation the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride out to conquer impoverish and kill So with war comes conflict and hostility, economic disaster, illness, and widespread death. That's why we should confidently pray for peace. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray pray for the peace of the world. And it's a peace in the hopes of postponing. I'm going to say it out loud. Postponing judgment. Because every day where the gospel of grace can be preached, another person can be saved. Pray. Pray. Like your life depends upon it, because it just might. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me.
0: Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's